What? <laughs> I will not repeat it on the recording. Excellent <laughs> idea. Welcome everybody to study group of Hello, Habet. And Somea. And Somea. <laughs> oh, would anybody like to has been have has anybody been astonished by the consequences or results of the experiments that you've been doing last week? We want to share a story about doing some edge work. Something you tried. I'm I want to tell something. Um, I remember this moment when I was sitting last year in ETB and you were telling Clinton about um, the no story, yeah? not attached story. And just a few days ago, I was picked up from the airport um, from my beloved one. And I love to have my hand on his hand on his lap. He doesn't like it so much. Uh, and usually this is my story about it. And um, I put my hand on his hand on his lap. And at one point, his hand was not longer under my hand. Usually I would have had a lot of story about he took his hand away. He doesn't, nah, nah, nah. you know, can imagine all this story and the main smell of the story would be he I'm not okay he doesn't love me and this time I just tried to not have any story just let reality was his hand was not longer under mine not even his hand he took his hand away yeah because this would have had already nuance and I could just be um, recognize how then in my being could be silence and I didn't have a story, I didn't have to argument something, I didn't have to anything, just reality was, was what it, how it was and I enjoyed to be next with him in the car. Yeah. So this was really, and I did a lot of things like this, Yeah. Um, also when I was in Germany and then with him um, and it was, it's just amazing yeah, to also recognize all this um, gremlin talks and <laughs> when I give massage for example yeah and you should be more like this ah no this was too much ah no no this constant constant um, talks instead of having just a silence and being really just fully present with what is and how it is yeah and um, I I could see it and swift, uh, switch again and again to this other state and it's amazing I really it's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank, oh, you. thank you. What a yeah. nice report. I mean, that's such the beginning of extraordinary relating. So much the exiting the ordinary and entering the extraordinary. Such a yeah. Wow, thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was really, there were great moments where I still was processing something and he asked me and I something came out and I said ah stop can I do a do-over that's what I want to say and a lot of yeah things like this so it's really starting to work yeah the the thing to 
also notice that I encourage people you to notice and I've had to pay attention to also is as soon as I stopped making stories, the energy that I was investing in creating <laughs> a story and worrying about the story and figuring out what the next story and what it means and what's going to happen. As soon as I stopped doing that, I have all this extra energy. And then yes. what to do with the energy? Because it freaks the box out if you have more energy than the box ordinarily knows how to handle. And it's a prime, it's like a, having a uh, one of these old wooden kegs full of gunpowder sitting around that starts filling up with gunpowder when you have this extra energy. And then a spark comes. Kaboom! And so it's it's excellent to take on other practices and other there's many 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 other kinds of practices and one one for example i'm just thinking of right now is to remember your grounding cord your center and your grounding cord to the earth because it turns out that the grounding cord is this two-way connection Mm. so let's do that right now if everybody could just Put your attention on your center. Figure out where your energetic center is. Locate it's in the past, in the future, in your mind. It's behind you. It's with somebody else. And use your intention to move your energetic center to your physical center, which is way down in the middle of your belly, behind your belly button. And once it's there, you can click your clicker and make a grounding cord between your center and the middle of the earth. And it's about four or five centimeters in diameter. It's flexible, this grounding cord, and it has a color. And at the count of three, click your clicker and then and then tell me the color of your grounding cord. One, two, three. Three. Oh, yeah. no. Three. Orange and black. Thank you. <laughs> and click your clicker one more time and make your bubble of space your personal bubble of space. And if you want, you can even click your clicker one more time to include all the people on this call in the space of the study group. And, and what I was saying was this, this grounding cord is a two-way connection to Gaia. And what somebody figured out recently was when you have your grounding cord, Gaia knows where you are. Gaia can, you know, can feel you. And it's two-way, which means that you, Gaia becomes a resource for you in your daily life. And it's a, sometimes it can be a painful resource because it, or this kind of resource brings awareness or needs. Or uh, we've been driving in New Zealand and there's, and there's, there's this awareness from this Gaia grounding cord that that multi-species diverse forest has been destroyed almost everywhere in New Zealand and replaced when there is forest. I mean, it's replaced either with fields that are just grass with sometimes sheep or cows and, or it's replaced with one species of pine tree that they cut down every 25 years and ship to China we see harbors as we drive by full of full and overflowing of logs that are being shipped off to China from New Zealand. And the, the information from 
Gaia is this pain about how in, unstable that is, how, unsus, how unsustainable it is because it is not diverse. Like diversity leads to stability. And this is becoming monoculture. It's becoming very unstable. And we've noticed that, for example, in Portugal the last few years, when the fires ripped through Portugal and just burned down the eucalyptus and pine trees so quickly, and then there was nothing left. And so this, the sensation is, so that's why it's so useful that we've learned how to feel. If you don't know how to feel sad or angry or scared or glad, if you don't know how to feel those things and navigate the feelings, then when Gaia is informing you because you have this two-way grounding cord, you would, you would block off the, the fear or the anger or the sadness because it's too much information. It's too, it's, it's bad. It's wrong. It's negative. And so it, and it's, it's not intended to be that way. The, the, the information that comes from Gaia through your grounding cord is multidimensional. And when it is fear or when it is anger, it has intelligence. It has actions attached, things to avoid, things to create, things to negotiate or renegotiate, things to change. And this is such a powerful force because it's so different from the imperatives or action that come from ordinary life in modern culture, which is, do I have enough money to pay rent? Or am I parked correctly? Or am I going to get a parking ticket? Et cetera, et cetera. All the, am I wearing the right style clothes to be popular or accepted or attractive? You know, how do I look? Like these are all the imperatives from modern culture, and they're very different from the imperatives of your grounding cord. But we're moving into a new culture, and the Building Love That Lasts book is essentially basic instructions for how to how to be an archon how to be somebody living in archiarchy. And so, and it includes your grounding cord and it includes this information exchange resource called your grounding cord. So when you have extra attention because you're not generating gremlin feeding tasty stories of being better than or worse than or worry or all that stuff, you can use, you can start using that energy for other kinds of practices. And in this case, the practice was uh, remember your grounding cord and and listen to what's going up and down the grounding cord to earth. And there's other practices too, but that's one just example. And that could be the experiment for one of the experiments for next week. Yes. I mean, I just want to throw in just another, another experiment, which is more of a, a human, not so much of an archetypal or connection with Gaia, but more of a human experiment. And was that free, free energy and, what it seems like to me is that then I start scanning for something else. Like before this, all oh, we have all this survival scanning of like Clinton was saying, you know, am I better than this person? Am I better dressed than this person? Am I, you know, do I have more money than this person or less money than this person or whatever this, all this survival scanning and with a, another, with that free energy and a different kind of scanning comes. And for example, it could be scanning for other edge workers especially, I mean, we do that a lot because we, we're traveling. So we don't get to live around a bunch of people that we know and we know they're edge workers. And so what we do is also we carry these cards and that's a new, it's a new version of the start over card. I'll just show you because 
it has this little new added feature of start here, start here, start here. This is the three, how to play, start over, and space for. So I'll send it in the in the creation village. I'll send the, how do you call it, the, the graphics if you want to print it. And, and to, to scan for anybody who's a little bit awake, who's a little bit, who can relate, who can already, you know, who, if we don't give linear answer, they don't completely freak out. I mean, there's some people who just go zombie, who just like, they won't answer or they'll just say exactly the thing that they've been saying all day. You know, you can't take them off this track of zombieism. But there's some people you start, you know, I mean, we travel and people say, you know, where do you come from? And we say, well, okay, that's a 45 minute conversation. Say, okay, which language do you speak? Well, English and French and German and Portuguese and Spanish. <laughs> So what do you want to know? People are like, um, but some people who can relate to that, there's some kind of, there's an openness for some kind of edge work. They get, they get multicultural, you know, or cultural relativism or they're bicultural or, and to get to, to say, okay, we have this card, you know, we have this game or the, there's this game world or, and to keep opening doors. And then you become this, seed planter but ex instead of planting you know trees which people have been doing or gardens you plant thoughtware seed and there was this idea we, we were just visiting um a guy uh who planted a whole huge reserve it's called hinawai there's a movie made uh from his project called fools and dreamers uh, and i think i think it was on netflix for a while you can check it out and so we met we actually went to the project and knocked on his door and the guy said, yes, please come into my home. I'll make some tea. Let's, you know, let's chat. And it was just a fantastic, we had a, you know, an hour to interview him about, you know, how did he start this reserve project in the middle of hardened conservative farmland? Like the people were just, you know, you have to cut all the trees. You have to get rid of all the vegetation. And he was a botanist from trade. And he said, I'm going to leave those horrible gorse um which people are trying to kill with herbicide and all sorts of things to have free pasture so that they create this nursery canopy for the native plants to come and grow in the shade and when the native plants grow above um the gorse dies immediately when there's no sun the gorse dies and so he's created this huge reserve and and he said this there is i didn't need to plant any tree there was no, there was no tree plant. The only tree he planted was by his house because he wanted a particular kind of tree next to his house. And he said, nature is, there's all this seed. I don't know if you can still hear me. We lost the team. We're in an internet pause, reconnecting and close getting so intense. <laughs> It's overpowering the internet. People. Wait, I'm seeing. People coming back to life. Yeah. Eva, what's going on? How's our... For the last three sentences. Okay. Also, we can hear you, but you... Yay. <laughs> We're back. Ah, cool. Good. 
Okay, I was saying something. The guy didn't need to plant any trees. Something like that. Yeah. Great. Great. Hugh Wilson. Hugh Wilson. And um, and he said Gaia is so rich. The seeds are already still. They're still there. The seeds are still there, and you just have to provide a soil that makes the, makes an environment that makes the seed grow. And really, what I, I I took it with me about this is the same thing for human beings. The being is there. We're designed for extraordinary and archetypal relating. There is a space already for the bright, you know, archetypal forces to come through, but it needs the seed. It needs the seeds and it needs a, some kind of a, a soil that works. And so that's, you can be that sort of seed planting, this thought where a seed planting or extraordinary relating seed planting as a experiment with your extra energy. So if I, at the end of the day, you know, we have to assess how is our day. And so if I have given away five cards, postcards to five different people, that is a good day. And so you have a new way to measure what kind of a day it is by how many cards you can give away to edge workers. It adds a, a, a meta conversation. I have a question to, to the grounding court. Go. And, or... Actually, it's not about the grounding cord. It's about why there are no other cords. I I have heard from other contexts that they experiment with making a grounding cord to the center of the universe. And I wonder why in possibility management this is not happening. Is there a reason for it? Or Yes. Yeah. Yes, because if you have a grounding cord to the center of the universe, who's living at the center of the universe? Do you know? Okay. So then you're connecting into a resource that you don't know. And also it turns out that a grounding cord to the center of the universe blocks in some ways the same tube through which your bright principles can come through. And so we keep that that connection for your bright principles and your archetypal lineage. Mm. I mean, yeah, we, I mean, human beings are these amazing things that, that we, we actually inhabit this dimension between the underworld and the upper world. So we get to inhabit the middle world and there's, we get to inhabit all three worlds but we can, we can, we're connected to them. You know, it's a, so, so rather than making a mythology about it, that the upper world is good and the underworld is bad and the middle world is important and, and live a life like that, what we get to do is inhabit all three worlds and do our work rather than live in the stories or try to try to avoid things. So, yeah, so we need the resources. We need the infinite resources. And we'll get into that in the third part of the book, the archetypal part of the book more. But it's a great question to, to ask why other people are doing different things. Because people, we're, we're mammals. And if you study mammals, like, for example, sheep, you can see that sheep or cows have this kind of herd behavior. And we have it built into our ancient memes to behave the same as the other humans. 
try to try to fit into the herd so that we're safe. And if whatever is attacking us comes in, you know, from the side of the herd, we try to stay at the middle of the herd so that those other poor people get eaten and we don't. So we have this herd behavior that's really natural for us. And so if, if we have this really weird tendency that's uninspected thought or absorption capacity, which means that if, God, we just learned one recently, I forget. If somebody does something, then we copy them. And then, and then we, we adapt this behavior and, and do the thing like that, or we don't do the thing like that so that we fit in and match onto their, their behavior. And if somebody asks why, why are you doing this? It, we, the answer is because they do it. Or I thought that's how it was supposed to be done. And so it's really easy for us to pick up a concept or a meme that's easy to understand but has no connection to reality and then adopt it as if it is important and real or true and try to pass it on and correct others so that they, they do it too. I recently saw a video of uh, a, a setup candid camera sort of video where these people were sitting in line at a, in a in a doctor's office or sitting in chairs in a doctor's office and about every 30 seconds or 90 seconds someone would stand up and then sit down again and they they were the actor that person was an actor and they and for no reason no explanation they didn't say anything they stood up waited about 10 seconds and sat down again well nothing else is happening in the in the waiting room and so Pretty soon, somebody else starts doing it also. And pretty soon, the entire waiting room, about every minute and a half, I all stand up for no, and then they all sit down again. And then the doctor calls them in and that, that all, and they all leave. And then the person who was the actor, they leave. And then somebody's in the, in the waiting room all by themselves who, who wasn't even part of the show is standing up and sitting down again. And then a new person comes in. And then they start standing up and sitting down again. And so the whole thing is completely this, this sheep, whatever, fish thoughtware. It's like stay, you know, do what everybody else is doing, even if you don't know what it is. So it helps to have a detector for that kind of behavior and thoughtware and, and really question what's going on. So Kian questioned it so much, he just vanished off the screen. <laughs> and that's, a, that's another good reason not to put your, your grounding cord up to the center of the universe because it just takes you out. <laughs> oh, anyway, Mark, go ahead. <clears throat> Clinton, would you make a distinction? You said that we are mammals. I'd like to think that my body is a mammal body, but I'm more than this body. I would like to think that too. <laughs> Offering that as a possibility for everyone to consider. And I get your analogy. It worked well. <clears throat> yeah. We act, we act like we're sheep, though we're not. Speak for yourself, buddy. No. <laughs> same, same thing. Saying we is a, is a setup for disaster. Yes. I have a cold, by the way. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's my body telling me do things differently, please. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Anything else right now from anybody? Yes. Hello, everybody. Hi, Kinu. From Costa Rica. 
Yay. <risa> Buenos días. Gracias. <risa> right now, Ata is living here in a very tiny community and she just jumped into our call and she's very curious about what do you have there for a worldwide network of conscious people? So I feel very, very glad about this opportunity. Welcome, Hello, Ada. Ada. Hello, nice Welcome, to Welcome, Ada. Thank you. Thank you to allow me to be here and listen to all this beautiful conversation and question and everything. And it will be allowed in the end of all this meeting, maybe I will have something to share with all of you. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see where it's going. But thank you so much. I feel really nice, except nice thank vibe. You. Thank you for your work. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. Thank, thank you. you we're, so we're really... We meet once a week, and in the between, we do our experiments. And everybody's doing their own experiments, and a lot to do with communicating, listening, connecting, relating, and also thinking in new ways and behaving in different ways. And so it's it's wonderful to have a a, a grounding court, like a clubhouse or something, where we can come back together and share about uh, the weird hobby that we have of... Yes trying to be aware and more aware and do experiments with how human beings or how we, I personally, how can I personally experience myself and others relating in ways that are extraordinary and even archetypal? Because as Mark mentioned, you know, we have this potential and it's the, we did not learn much about how to bring our potential to life from going to school or from copying our parents, perhaps, and especially yeah. not by watching the advertisements on the television or, you know, in the media. So, so we really need other uh, social environment where we can come together and kind of make fools of ourselves, but in an extraordinary way. So this is a group of extraordinary fools, and I feel really... <laughs> comfortable and happy and glad to connect in all my life 64 years be out and now feel like okay i'm not the only one who is crazy thank you guys be crazy with me a little even more crazy if it's possible <laughs> so and also when when uh i i don't know the names he asked why we are not grounded in the center of the universe of course we are only this avatar here right now need to be grounded in Gaia because this is what we are doing here. But your multidimensional being, of course, it's grounded in the center of the universe and it's doing whatever you need to do there. But what we need to do here, we need to do here and more we will be here connected with the plants and, and Gaia and water and all the elements what, what we can receive them. This is what, how we should do the, do the work. This is why we take this body. So, yes, and start to wake up to remember who we really are. Exactly. And that brings us exactly to page 224 in this book, section 7B, called The Edges of Your Box. So we all know what this box is. It's an interface between us and the world. And it's a survival strategy. It's like a cocoon or a chrysalis. And so... 
we're designed to hatch out of it when we're starting at 18 years old. But modern culture, our society does not provide the initiatory processes to hatch out of the box. And so that's left up to our team, you know, to come together. We come together in trainings and groups and three cells and we do emotional healing processes and we go to other initiatory processes together, uh, fire walking and uh, family constellation. what family constellation. family constellation work and journey into the earth and all these other kinds of initiatory processes, because each initiation enhances our capacity to be more responsible and responsibility is consciousness in action. So it's really about being more aware. And this is about doing edge work at the edge of your box. I'm going to read from the book a little bit. Edge work involves three steps. The first step in edge work is to find an edge. The second step involves staying exactly on that edge without going away or going too far. And the third step is doing edge work experiments at the edge. Clearly, a strong understanding of edges is crucial to the success of edge work. And that is particularly true of relational edge work, because the edges in relational edge work are mobile. They're so dynamic, and they're very delicate. And at the same time, very precise and well well perceived. So you can step over an edge too far and everybody knows it, or you're not at an edge enough and everybody can feel it. And so the dance of doing an edge work experiment in interactions is highly dynamic and, and makes use of all of your resources, which is entertaining. It's this hugely entertaining uh, edge to be working on. So it's like, it's not like the edge of, you know, how much garbage can I leave in the trash can before I have to empty it? You know, can I shove more down inside and, you know, or how long can I leave my clothes drying on the clothesline before it pisses off everybody else in the community because I'm using up the clothesline space? These are also edges. But the the kind of edges that um, are particularly fascinating are the ones that are are energetic, those kind of edges. So imagine your box and it's a a simple six-sided cube. Your actual box is far more complex and sophisticated than a simple cube design. But to represent it on the, the drawing or as a concept, the box works just fine. Each surface of your box is assembled out of basic mental or mimetic psychological components, such as beliefs, attitudes, assumptions, interpretations, conclusions, opinions, projections, and stories. Everyone's box is built out of the same structural components, but each box is constructed in its own unique design with edges that are short or long, straight or curvy, dull or sharp. Each edge is your personal declaration about what you are committed to hold as real. And every edge is arbitrary. So there's no uh, law or 
physical or legal law that says one of your edges has to be a certain way. So every edge is arbitrary. That means it's made up out of nothing. For example, one person may believe that making one or two mistakes is a sign of total incompetence, whereas another person might completely accept three or four mistakes as a sign of being a truly creative edge work artist. One person may have an edge that assesses eating cake and coffee as I have no self-discipline, whereas another might assess the exact same behavior as I passionately love to experience the abundance that life has to offer. <laughs> so, so you get, you get, we all know this. And it's at the same time, what's weird about this, it's not in the book right now, but what's weird about this is that human beings have parts. We have parts. And so we can have contradictory stories, both of them in us operating at the same time arguing with each other, you know, and, and, and then we have this conversational war going on inside of ourselves about this is true, this is false, this is right, this is wrong, and the whole thing is moving, is, is um, almost exploding inside of us, and people, people come up and say, how are you? And you, you say, fine. <laughs> and you could say I'm having this war between is eating this cake, you know, I'm just being Brazilian because in Brazil everybody eats cake for breakfast, you know, or is it in is it German German part of me and going no 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 cake is at three o'clock in the afternoon one little piece and that's it, you know, and so and these two parts are at war with each other inside of me and then so you could tell that to people what kind of war are you having with your voice parts inside of yourself they say how are you. And then they'll never ask you how you are again because they get overwhelmed by the radical truth of what you're sharing with them because it's too close to their own truth and they don't want to be reminded about their own parts having a war inside of themselves. But imagine instead of saying, hello, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. You know, people started, we actually started to tell each other the war of the stories that we have from the different parts of ourselves going on inside. We would not have to watch TV ever again. Just in terms of edge work, the war, the war is the marshmallow zone. There's this great article from Gabrielle about the swamp. Um, anyway, it's worth reading because it's said about that. And the war is, is actually the marshmallow zone. And well, Gabrielle, will you put a link to your article in the chat for us, please? Thank you. Cool. And the, and the, and the edge work would be to reveal the, the marshmallow zone, like to reveal the war. Evolution occurs most dynamically at the intersection between two media, two media. Think of the intertidal zone between the ocean and the, and the rocky land. This is where creatures first learn to breathe and crawl and eventually fly. Think of the interface between the fields of biology and the field of physics that in, where they interface. You know, this is where biophysics and biotechnology develop medicine and diagnostics, all these x-ray, ultrasound, brain scan, all this stuff. Evolution is most rambunctious at the edges. Rambunctious means most alive and dynamic. So for extraordinary human relating, 
it is the edges we go to. It is that's that's the point of the edge. You going to your edge, calling others to their edge. And that's where creating can happen. Creating is actually love happening. The experience of creating is love happening. And so that's you can have essentially your whole day being in this field of love when you stay at the edge and just keep creating with each interaction. So that's an amazing little jewel I just said. That would be an experiment. How long can you stay at the edge and create with each of your interactions with other people? How long can you stay there and notice that the experience of love happening right there, even if you don't know what to do next, even if you're making mistakes, even if the other person is gets offended or doesn't understand or is or argues with you, or I mean, if you just stay at the edge and create dimension after dimension, possibility after possibility, and offer it as an abundant source of possibility for the person you're interacting with as a way of connecting and being with and love is happening, I mean. How long can you do that? That's the experiment. And it's intense. I mean, if you can do it for five seconds, that's something. Yeah, can you give that? I mean, when I, there's this, there's this idea, for example, that edge work in terms of creating or being, this idea of like being open or being vulnerable or being, and I think for a lot of us, the edge work is also, or mostly also about having integrity and about having clarity or holding boundaries or uh, making distinction. Like it's not about outpouring. It's not just about outpouring, you know, yes, you know, sharing your war is one experiment, but there's this thing about uh, having this culture to culture conversation that you come from a different culture, your values are different and that can be shocking to other people. And part of the edge work is let it be shocking for other people and, and, but keep having integrity with your own, you know, with your own culture, with your own value with, you know, like for example, creating extraordinary relating that, that that will be shocking for people. And so mm, it, it's not a, how can I say that? It's not about making, the edge work is not about making the other person understand you, for example, or, or making it more easy for the other person to relate to you. Because that, I have, yeah. I have the sense that I'm experimenting with something that is the step before that, that I was trying to to do what you were uh, explaining, uh, like doing pirate experiments or like, yeah, exactly what you say, uh, not being understood or being okay with what's going on. And I'm doing the experiment now to radically accept That's why I'm like, that's where my edge is right now to, to be in radical acceptance about the situation. First of all, to see, okay, this is what it is. This is instead of, yeah, 
blaming or creating whatever stories or uh, uh, having expectations, assumptions or allowing anything to fill up the space to, to just like, for example, uh, Sumeya is going to kindergarten right now. I'm, I'm living in the city. There's so many circumstances in a way. And what I'm doing right now is to radical accept when the kindergarten is closed or when they tell me things are not working the way I thought it would be to, to be with my fear and to be with my anger and to be with everything that is going on and just to accept that I don't need to do anything about it right now. I don't need to start from there. What I usually do is, is to like to, to be normal, to make it function, to, to be useful, to think about it or whatever, to figure it out. But instead of doing all that to 100% trust that this is what it is. And this, this is, yeah, that what, what to, what to play with if there is something to play with. Thank you. Uh, keep letting us know how that's working out for you. Okay. Like as an experiment, yes. keep reporting how that works out. There's another thing that you can do at the, at that edge is notice. And, and the thing about noticing is to actually notice what you're noticing because we're noticing all the time. We notice if our foot is high enough to, to go over a, a step at the curb or us, we, if, our, if our foot is not high enough, we trip and fall over. Or, you know, if the door, how a door opens, some, of, some doors squeak, some doors are stuck, some doors come open really easily, some you have to slide. And note, so we're noticing all the time. But the, the invitation here is not just to notice, is to also notice that you're noticing and then to not to not stop there but to notice what you are noticing with what in you is noticing and what is its purpose behind the noticing and not only that but to notice what you are not noticing and what is the purpose behind your ignoring you're not noticing something because a lot of you know, it's often the case that the thing that you don't notice is a thing that comes up and bites you in the ass afterwards. You know, so it's okay, why did I not notice that? You know, what was the purpose for not noticing that? And it could be to have a low drama about it, to get, you know, to become victimized by the thing or betrayed. And then if you're victimized or betrayed, your gremlin gets to come out and blame and resent and all those kinds of things. So the mechanism of noticing what you're noticing and also noticing what you're noticing with because you have to you have to have some pattern recognition to notice with and what you where you could obtain more stuff with which to notice with is to where do you get this stuff to notice with and and what's what are you not noticing and what is the purpose behind that and you can share that with other people and it's such a uh, an awareness expansion conversation to share about and that so that could be an experiment is to once or twice this week sit down with somebody and or walk with somebody and notice what you're noticing and what you're noticing with and what you're not noticing and if you're going to do that experiment and you're walking with someone you can take turns for about 10 minutes each 
one of you notice the other person to the extent that you copy them. So you, while you're walking, you, you agree this beforehand, you make the deal for 10 minutes, you're going to uh, duplicate what? Like map on. Map on to yeah. and duplicate the other person's gestures, where they put their attention, where they don't put their attention, how they are breathing, how they're speaking, looking, walking. You imitate their body movement. And you will, it's such a, I've, I've done this a number of times and it's so incredible how many dimensions of new information I, you can get by copying another person. And then you stop for five minutes and you share with them what you noticed by from being them on this walk for 10 minutes. And then you take turns. They do it with you. And it's such a weird feeling to have somebody walking next to you with the same energy, attention, ten, you know, tensions in their body or relaxations in their body where they're put. You know, if somebody looks and you look or you look and somebody else looks, this is weird feeling to have somebody copy you. And so it, it also is a great experiment for the one being copied because you can feel ordinarily there's these subtle interactions that go on because you, you're different. But if you're walking with a twin brother or sister and, and being exactly who's being exactly like you just for these 10 minutes, it's a, it's a, an amazing experiment to do. I mean, in the, <clears throat> your, your box might want to try to control what, you know what you notice with somebody when somebody's mapping onto you being like i'm gonna you're just gonna show them the good parts of me or whatever you think you are or i'm not gonna pick my nose <laughs> at this part and 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 you know well that could be one noticing you know how your box really is is crystallizing this identity or like who should i be with them what kind of show should i put on with them yeah because you have a particular show with I, each person I don't want to see this about myself, so I'm not going to do it. So they show me, show it to me. Uh, or you could do the experiment to to relax and and have somebody kind of like sit, like walk kind of a little bit behind you, so your box doesn't come up all the time, and see what what shows up. So and those are that's edge work. This is this is edge work stuff, and it usually edge work brings awareness. And if bringing new awareness is designated as a painful experience for you you will try to avoid it and so the idea of the pain is to figure out okay does this make me angry am i feeling scared am i sad you know it's only that it's only mad sad glad or scared until you attach a story to it and that's how you change pain into suffering is by attaching a story to it i'm reading back in the book again since we live within the perceptual limits of your box and the box confidently reassures you, this is all there is. And that's what your box is telling you. And it goes around saying, yes, I know. And this is all that there is. Then you sometimes forget there are vast domains just beyond the edges of your box, full, very richly full of what you do not know that you do not know about. So just outside your box, there's whole domains that you don't know that you don't know about. And the interface between the known and the unknown is where you have the greatest opportunity to gain new perspective and make unrestricted actions. 
by unrestricted actions, I mean actions that are not um, duplicating what your parents do or what's right or wrong according to some social agreements. Like you have freedom of movement when you have this when you have this perspective that it's an opportunity to function between the known and the unknown at the edge. That's where you have freedom of movement. At the edge, traditional systems break down. And in fact, you know, at the edge is where they put you in jail, they, uh, whatever they, the, the, a tribe would reject you or question you or, you know, when, when it, when it, it, when it causes fear that, that the, this is all it is, is not true. You know, the box is telling us this is all it is. This is all that is possible. This is the way it should be. And then when we're interacting with somebody and, and they are questioning that because they don't have the same limit. They're not abiding by the, this is all it is declaration. You're not, not conforming to that. Then all of a sudden there, it comes alive in a different way. And for many people, that aliveness is scary because it's not known. It's not controlled. But that's where aliveness is happening. And that's where you have this freedom of movement. So this is at, at the edges where traditional systems break down, thus creating real necessity for new possibilities to be discovered. So if the existing system manages what's happening, then then it already... And then nothing new, new, no new possibility is needed. But if if the existing system is not managing your perceptions, what you're thinking of, what you're what you're experimenting with, what your intention is, if your existing systems do not manage that, then it is necessary for new possibility to be discovered or called in. And that's your job. Your job gets to be to call in the new possibility of which there's more than one option, you know, that's what possibility is. So to get to the edge, you can exchange, you have to exchange security for adventure. And it's a, it's a value, it's a value system consideration because nobody can really say, yes, having security is not a good value or having adventure is not a good value. It's like, like what you value is what you value and your values evolve or you can nail your values down to the same ones that were given to you by the church or by your parents or by school or by corporate world. And then you, you adopt other people's values without even knowing it. And that's the definition of being a zombie is functioning in a game world without being aware of other people's of what the values of the game world are. That's you know, when I <clears throat> wrote this article called A Roadmap from Patriarchy to Archiarchy, I discovered that, of course, we have parts, but I discovered this part, this edge where we might want to have both the security of modern culture. So insurance and electricity and a car and being able to fly anywhere and money and like as if money has value. Both we want to have the... the the security of modern culture and the aliveness of archaearchy. And actually that's not, it doesn't work because the resources that are sacrificed for the security of modern culture, the resources that get sacrificed 
such as, for example, having insurance, you sacrifice having fear. If you have insurance, you sacrifice paying attention to what you need to care for, what needs to be fixed, what that's what, or, or um, it's the same thing. If you have a, a car, you sacrifice your necessity to negotiate intimacy to get where you want to go. Mm. So these resources that you sacrifice for the security is the exact resources needed to build extraordinary relating or archiarchy, the culture of archiarchy. And so, but there's this point usually where um, it, it's a real conflict on this path of evolution, on this on this bridge from patriarchy to archiarchy, being this this moment where uh, the freak out being, I you know I'm on this path and I'm I need to sacrifice my safety to get, you know, to, to have access to my being, to have access to my bright principles or my archetypal lineage. And there's this moment of, okay, do I really want to do that? And then the, you know, the box might freak out saying, well, you know, what does archaeology really has to offer me? You know, why should I sacrifice all this? You know, it's maybe it's not worth it. You know, who can prove me that it's worth it? All, all these, this conversation. And, and I think it's really this, 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 this edge work, like this, moment of choice between um this safety which is actually really painful which is like a, this this chrysalis you know this eggshell and the adventure but we you know you don't get to see the adventure until you exit the chrysalis so there's there's this no certainty thing there's a fabulous old film called walkabout how many people have seen Walkabout? Yeah, not enough. Not enough. So it's it's really a story of exactly what Anne-Claire was talking about, about a couple of kids who, by terrible circumstances, are abandoned, are, are, are kicked out of modern culture into the middle of the Australian outback desert. And, and essentially, they're so unprepared that it, within you know, a day or two, they would be dead. But they fortunately, or through the forces of ECHO, the Earth Coincidence Control Office, run into a, a young man from an indigenous tribe who is on his walkabout, which is a year of living out in the wilderness without contact of anybody else. That's the test. You know, that's his, this is one of his bridges to adulthood is being able to live alone in the wilderness for a year and find enough food and water and shelter and, and really prove that he's can live on the earth. And they meet. And the interaction between the two cultures, this sort of this really comfort-oriented, sleeping, um, ex, you know, what do you call it? Mm. No, when they call it when the, when the foreign country comes Oh, in. exotic. No. The foreign country comes in and takes over the land. Colonizing. Yeah, the colonial culture. The colonial culture of the boy and girl who are stranded in the desert meets the indigenous culture of this young man. And it's such a a breakthrough, such a possibility. And, and it's like this moments in the film where I was just going, God, this is really possible. I mean, there's possible for, for this to happen. And in the end, they kind of don't get it. Neither... Only the little boy gets it anyway, but the, the the girl doesn't get it. The indigenous guy definitely doesn't get it. And there's this final scene of the movie where, where the woman is, you know, 10 years later, she's 
grown up. She's married some white guy. She lives in some apartment in some edge of some city and she's washing the dishes while her husband is off flirting or at work or somewhere. And it's like, she remembers these moments of being back in the wilderness. And as, as like, what the hell am I doing standing in front of this little window, looking outside of my prison when in fact, the whole world is out there begging for me to come out and live. And it's just this, a wake up film. And it's uh anyway, it's, I, it's on our list. I'm pretty sure. And so I recommend it's called walkabout because we're, we are, we are on our walkabout. I mean, in a way, that's what we're doing together is we're on our walkabout together. And we're trying to figure out what's really going on and what else is possible and who are we in this? And especially who are we with somebody else in this, you know, relating. And that the necessity for us to come together in these spaces and have these questions and these edge work experiments it's that necessity is there because in a way the culture that we were born and raised in is so dead in those domains. It's so dead and it's stultifying and, and, you know, repressive. And it's just so, uh, you know, mono, like in a, whatever, it's not stereo. It's not quadraphonic. It's mono. And we're sent down this, linear life plan plan linear life plan track you know to eventually die in some old people's home and and it's like okay okay that that track is already known you know we have other op- options and so this conversation is about what are what other options are there along the way how do you step off the train to the old people's home we're on this train moving straight to the old people's home how do you get off that thing you know and it's worth just flinging yourself off sideways. You know, some of us have done that. Like, it doesn't matter the consequences. It doesn't matter. I mean, I have an ancestor. He was some German military leader. And he was in a Vaughn family. You know, Vaughn means like part of the aristocracy. His name was Von Kleist. And he fell in love with a peasant woman. You know, somebody who was not uh, arist- aristocratic. And the guy just looked at the world somehow with enough clarity to abandon the Vaughn part of his name. They kicked him out of the family. They kicked him out of the aristocracy because he fell in love with this woman and they went off together somewhere. And I am somehow alive because this guy did that. And so I think you all have ancestors who are also courageous edge workers because they survived because they're behind you, because they made decisions that allowed them to, to explore and discover and stay alive enough that you could receive their mimetic thought where that could receive their lifestyle and somehow and, and, and have some kind of inspiration to get out of the system yourself, to be in a space like this and have these kind of conversations. And so it's, I recommend from time to time, I hope that you, Honor your ancestors, the ones who were the edge workers, the ones who decided to leave and go do something else. Because in a way, you're, you're a recipient of, of the blessings or the treasures that they were able to discover or keep alive. And you have those treasures. You are that treasure. And so I, I hope that sometimes you think about your ancestors, the ones who 
did something different so that they could survive or live and live with a capital L, you know, like really live out in a way that, that you inherited some of that stuff from them to honor them somehow. So to get to the edge, we were saying we have to, we have to exchange security for adventure. And the word adventure, I recommend along with the word experiment, because it explains a lot about what you might be up to, to other people. So you can be involved in very bizarre behavior. It doesn't matter what kind of behavior it is. You could be examining horse shit on the side of the road with a stick, you know, and bending over, just looking at this stuff. And people go, what are you doing? And you go, I'm doing an edge work experiment. They go, okay, no. Or, you know, you can be, uh, take most of your clothes off, you know, and go hike uh, on the on the town, at the edge of the town, or go whatever, and people, what are you doing, you know, I'm on an adventure. And people go, oh, okay. But it's like, it explains so much about, uh, it gives you a really good background story or, or excuse for doing what you want to do to be alive. If you just call it an adventure or an edgework experiment, and people will go, it, it just explains a lot. So I, I recommend having those words really handy in your vocabulary. About about this whole thing about reasons, you know, people will, will ask you why you're doing this, and and we're so good. It's like we've just been so well trained in giving justification and reasons that make sense to the other person, so that they don't think we're crazy. It's like it's such a innate and natural you know and we've learned it from a parent saying what are you doing it's like oh i'm you know i'm doing my homework or you know whatever the thing was and it and instead it's sort of like to you can reclaim this what kind of justification you give and, and to not to notice this like automatic machine of reason and justification which basically give give away your power to choose you give away your power to decide what you're doing so that it kind of a match reason that people might understand. Like you give you give that away, and instead you reclaim your power to choose to do experiments, and then come up with whatever reason that you're conscious of making up, so that you can relate to people. You know, and it's sort of, you know, I was thinking of like walking on the edge of town, just uh, you know, kind of half naked or something, and somebody has said, well, "What are you doing?" You know, it's not allowed to walk naked, and. I, you know, I could say, well, well, my doctor, you know, he said it's really good for the circulation to walk in the cold like that. And I have really circulation problem, you know, and but that reason comes from this theater piece to, you know, relate to people that it's not about being a fuck like this. It's not about being a fuck you. The edge work experiment is not about being a fuck you, but to reclaim this reason making mechanism. So the experiment along those lines is for for the next undefined limit amount of time is that if somebody asks you why are you doing this or why do you think that or why did you decide that that you come up with a reason and then you immediately shift and come up with another perfectly mm -hmm. valid reason and another you come up with another reason and it's not an argument but each reason is unique it's so separate they're not the reasons are not connected so you come up with five different reasons in a row, every time somebody asks you why or for an explanation, you just produce five of them. You just keep that in mind. To If somebody asks you, just produce five reasons of 
completely different dimensions. And, and it's not just when people ask you why, you might notice how much you're justifying yourself, even mm -hmm. without people asking why. And so even in those instances where you find yourself justifying being, oh, let me give another reason and let me give another reason and let me give another reason. So if you exchange security for adventure or experimenting or discovery, suddenly there's a rich source of riskiness and aliveness for yourself, both of which riskiness and aliveness are foods that nurture extraordinary human relating, the riskiness and aliveness, which is very different from the known, the habitual, the, the habit pattern, you know, the acceptable. And so nonlinear nutrition is not available in the marshmallow zone. And the marshmallow zone is this inner sweet, comfortable, warm, familiar zone inside your comfort zone, inside of your box. And so most, most people naturally gravitate towards living in their marshmallow zone inside their box. And you know, you know, when you get to the edge of your marshmallow zone, it's like a little risky. And it's, but when you get to the edge of your box, it's, there's the fear. There's a, the unknown is very close to you. The unpredictable, the uncontrollable, the unexpected is very close to you. And when fear is not okay, we automatically go back to the marshmallow zone. And you can catch yourself. You can notice the, the gestures that you make both internally and externally, the gestures that you make to retreat immediately back for no reason, like without even any conscious reason, reflexively move back into the marshmallow zone of your box. Really try to pay attention when that's happening. Because, you know, we've mentioned it before, there's this, there's this scenes in the movie Pleasantville when Pleasantville is all about the marshmallow zone, the entire town is about living in the marshmallow zone. And the, the husband comes home, you know, puts his hat on the rack and his coat on, puts down his briefcase, goes, honey, I'm home. I love you. You know, and, and she's the first time he does it. It's wonderful. The second time he does it. Well, it's OK. I heard that before. The third time he does it, the wife is kind of going, you know, what else do you have? You know, what? What, is that it? Hello, honey, I'm home. You know, I love you. It's like, okay, okay. This has become plastic. It's become, it's become artificial. And so to live in the artificialness is, is to, you have to detect that. You, you can detect that and you go, oh my God, you know, I said that once before. I answered this question the same way three weeks ago. And okay, all right, this is over for me. And you stand up and turn around and ask for a do-over and just try again, you know, start something completely different. Uh, one experiment that I'm doing and researching is about the, the sphere of the edge and this difference between the fear inside the marshmallow zone. So if you have built a marshmallow zone that is, um, have a lot of fear as a part of that's familiar to you and the fear of edge work. And those are actually two different fears. But if you confuse the fear of your marshmallow zone with the fear of edge work, then you think you add the edge when actually you're still totally in the marshmallow zone being terrified because it's so familiar to be have complete anxiety and stress and worry. And so I just want to say that that would be 
I'm holding space for Pure Club, and that's like one of this edge of research of distinguishing between this marshmallow fear of worry and stress and anxiety and between this real, what I would call more the, the box freak out. And that's, that's the alarm. That's the uh, signal that that's edge work, the box freak out. But the, in the marshmallow zone, the box doesn't freak out. It's just, it, it totally is comfortable with feeling even, you know, 40% anxiety all the time. The box is totally fine with that. There's Gab Gabriel. What comes to me is that um, experiment of most of the time I realize that when I go into my marshmallow zone or swamp, um, I got this, uh, how to say, I'm losing my words. I'm, af I'm afraid right now about saying what I'm going to say. Um, there is an open door for a desire or something I want to do. And somehow there is something in me, which could be my parent ego state or whatever, that is shutting the door and saying no. And so I'm making one step back and I'm losing the connection to the nutrition, to the new food that is. And when, when you say um, the thing about shifting from security to adventure, for me, it's like shifting from the mind to energetic body. It's like really sensing what I want or what, what, I, uh, what I want to do and experiment. And one thing that came to my mind is that um, I realized that when I make that step back, uh, I, um, I usually have a voice that say, what you will lose if you go out. Mm. And, and listing the things that I will lose and... And it came to my mind that I uh, a possibility for that is, is like uh, scanning for the desire that I have for the thing that I want to do. And um, yeah, scanning for the things that I will gain. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's something I want to practice. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, imagine not doing edge work. And so what you look, what you do then is you look around for what to conform to or how to fit in or how to be adaptive, how to give your center way, how to be a nice person, how to be acceptable, how to accept things so that it don't rock the boat. You know, you, you, and you, and you, you start and you do that for a few months or a few years or a few decades and you're, you're behaving in this way of not going to the edge. And for, on the one side, your soul is starving. You know, your being is just starving for, for being food. But on the other side, the people who you connect with are probably doing the same thing. And so you've, what you've got is a, 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 a clique. You know, you have your club, your people who are around you, you know, your friends are all being adaptive also. And so what you've got is you, you're with a, a group of people, perhaps your relatives, perhaps your neighbors, and perhaps the people that you've met in your life, and you've been adaptive. So they don't really know who you are. They don't really get to be with you. 
and and you don't know who they are because they're being adaptive to your adaptiveness. So you have this kind of adaptive club of people being vanilla flavor and being nice or being cool at a certain way, kind of coolness. They're all being cool the same way. And so what happens is, is you don't get to be yourself and they don't get to be themselves. And you end up with this uh, kind of like a, 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 a flock of sheep. Like you're, you're a school of fish. Like you're kind of circulating, all circulating around something that's not there. Not, it's not real. So you don't get to be yourself. Nobody gets to be with you. And you wonder why you're lonely. You know, you, ha- you, you feel this essential loneliness because you haven't struck out from, from your causal body. Like the thing that actually wants to cause things to happen in the world is suppressed. Your causal body is starving because you're not causing and creating stuff. You're, you're, you're being like a, a puppet without a puppeteer. You know, you know what I mean? Like a puppet has somebody's hands inside of it, moving it around, but there's nothing, you know, your, your aliveness is pulled out and you're being this kind of um, adaptive blowing in the wind, being like the others trying to fit in and you're starving yourself and, and you wonder why you're lonely. And there's this thing about, okay, you know, I wanted to have friends. I wanted to fit. I wanted to, you know, be around people. So I thought that I could be like them, but then everybody else is being like a generic, you know, cool person. You have all this generic coolness going on and nobody's there. Nobody's actually getting to connect or take a risk or try stuff. And it's like, it's like, it's such a shock to, to discover that much. You know, I thought I was being a good person. I thought I was obeying the rules. I thought I was, letting people know me but there's nobody there to know you because they're not being themselves either so nobody can know you because you're not there and you can't know anybody else because they're not there and you it's and it's it's so common this thing is so common and decades go by of your life and it so it's a painful wake-up call to have to realize that you've sacrificed aliveness for company like your friends but in fact they don't even know who you are and you don't know who they are so you don't have any friends and so if you actually start letting the aliveness come through if you actually start being yourself you will lose most of your friends you will your whole friend circle will just disintegrate around you people will think you're sick or weird or in some you're having a problem or whatever. And, and so it's, a it's, it's useful to know that your entire friend circle would change if you start becoming yourself. And then, and then what is there, what's the guarantee? You know, what will you have, you know, you can have a party and, you know, 30 people come over, you have a party and nobody comes, you know, that's a risk. Or maybe two people come. You know, and you go, well, how, how are we supposed to have a party with three people? And, and so to, to sacrifice the superficial, shallow, happy friendliness of, of, the, of, the, of the 
gang, you know, the gang of sleeping people is and to sacrifice that makes you an outcast in a way. But at first it seems like that, but on the other hand, you start feeding your being and you start creating what you came here to create and you're doing the edge work experiments that, that feed you that you're actually being called to do from your archetypal lineage or your bright principles or your, your, whatever you're being like you you're feeding yourself. Well, it's probable that there, that you, you are then becoming visible to echo. You're becoming visible to the earth coincidence control office who will move you together with other people doing, doing you know, who are also alive at that level. I mean, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, in all my experiments of, of, you know, trying to fit into school and my family and the society and everything, and then just kind of doing these edge work experiments for years and years. And I, and I, I get to wherever I am right now and I wonder, okay, where are those people who are even more alive than me? Like, what are they doing? And I could be walking by them. They can walk by me right down the street or I'm at the beach and they're walking by. And so I, I did, I made a decision to scan for people who I can't see. It means that they're up to something that I don't get what it is. And I have this running program, whatever, a decision, a pre-decision I made that if I discover anybody that I can't scan and see what they're up to, I walk right up to them and say, hello, my name is Clinton. I need to know what you're up to. I want to know what you're doing. And I've done that a number of times and it's, it's always been an interesting conversation. So, so scan for people you can't see because they're beyond your aliveness level and go meet them. Just go talk to them. And it's, who knows what can happen, but tell us if you do that, tell us what happens. <laughs> Good. I want to make a space here for comments or sharing your stuff. Anybody have anything they want to say? Yes. I did an experiment today uh, of the next, next page. And it's something that I really recommend you to do the experiment of picking a picture or two uh, as a baby and one a little bit older. And what I discovered is that while scanning the picture of the baby, it is so clear the qualities of the being and the necks and then it doesn't take a lot of time, maybe two, three years, and the difference is enormous. And I feel really sad because since I started doing this work, I, I didn't look at pictures of myself. And while doing it today with mine and with other edge workers of, of my of the team, it was so clear that something happened. It was becoming more and more palpable the survival strategy and yeah it's my sharing wow thank you i mean so, sonia did it did it make you want to try something different or what what is the awareness like what what happens when you do that? 
I I want to continue doing the edge work experiments. I want to continue unfolding and do emotional healing processes and go through the layers because what I saw today in myself and in others, that, that's that's what I want to see more and more around me and in myself. So would you like to ask for an emotional healing process right now, now that we're talking about it? Yes, I want to ask for an emotional healing process about a fear that I have when I wake up and I cannot go back to sleep. And it's constant. Uh, who will hold space for me for this emotional healing process? I see Gina and Arlen. Ingrid. And Gabriel and Ingrid. There's Dawit. And Dawit. Okay. And Kinu and Ada. Gina. Wow. You got it. Gina. Okay. Gina, Ingrid, Gabriel. Arlen. Uh, okay. Arlen. Yeah. Who else was it? Dawe. Dawe. And did I hear Kinu? Yes. Yeah, Kinu. Okay, thank you. And Ada. And Ada. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Let us know how it goes next week if you can. Like what you figure out and discover, okay? Yes. Thank and this you. kind of fear could have, yeah, multiple multiple layers. Yeah, if you... Mm -hmm. Just keep in mind when you do emotional healing processes, they often have two or three or four layers. I I went through one that had seven layers. It took like a couple of years. Over a couple of years, I did seven layers in the same process. And each layer revealed a whole new and even contradictory evidence. And, and they were all true. All of them were true. Each level was true, and yet they were contradictory results and uh, the seventh one just completely blew me away it was like so it's worth doing the going back to the same you know consideration in this case that fear and go to the next level of it it's great to do that good anybody else anything else right now thank you sonia you know? well, i would like to talk she just uh and for me because i don't know the custom call i can can jump in so I would like to join about this uh, inner work with the child, with inner child. It's something like it's my specialization, let's say. And this, uh, to watch the picture, it's amazing, amazing uh, way to support yourself, to take your own picture from whatever age you have, from baby till when you have, and watch yourself. But because we do have program, and just like in your computer, you can delete and you can put another program. You have possibility to send yourself when you are three years old to just hug yourself and tell yourself exactly what you think you are missing in this moment. You can be your own parent. You can be your own, your own support. And if you will do this, trust me, in a week, you will be like, wow, you know, your inner child will be able to be authentic so talking about all this how to be authentic i don't want to take too much space because i'm a guest here 
but this is exactly what I'm doing now last let's say last 30 years not only with myself but during hypnotherapy to do shadow work of the people to see the shadow and then change the picture because when we will change the picture once when we change the picture now the base where we are coming from is completely different and this shadow work like you mentioned seven layers is even of course way 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 deeper because what we think that it's our consciousness, this is just a little bit, and then subconscious level is like an ice iceberg deep in the ocean. And this is what we need to heal. And when we are healing this, we are healing collectible. I'm not healing myself or one another person. Whatever we will remove, we remove these fears we remove from collectible. And last thing for me, Every emotion, not only fear, frustration, jealousy, every emotion, whenever I will become aware, because all the time we are communicating with our emotional body, but sometimes we are aware, sometimes we are too mechanical. But when I will become aware, I will just tell myself, I am spiritual soul in human experience. And now I'm experiencing this emotion. Why not? Thank you, whoever bring me this or what situation bring me. But I don't need to start with you. You can melt back to Mother Earth or you can like a compost to feed with information or you can go in transformation in light, whatever is more comfortable with you. And then just watch how is this melting out of all your system. Because these fears are so deep. We get them from our ancestors. They're in our DNA. It's not so easy to get rid of. But more we are doing this, more we are becoming aware. I'm spiritual soul. And I'm just experiencing. I'm just traveling through this space-time whatever with this avatar yes of course i need to take care about him but i don't need to be he should be my servant i don't need to be a servant of, of this body you know and then thank you thank you thank you for having me here today <laughs> thank you something else from anybody else ellen or ingrid go ahead ingrid yeah I want to share, I, I have a diagnosis of ALS. There's no a name on that ensemble of my symptoms. And uh, with the usual development, I will lose my language. And I was with a, uh, it might be not, but... That's a normal way. Uh, so, so, and I was with an orthophonist, and she told me, it's now the time to share the words of love and gratitude. Now, this hits me. And uh, I'm switching now the clinic. And the the physician I had, the neurologist I had, she called me and I said, I practice it now. And I said to her, I really appreciate you. Je vous apprécie. He, she, she come. I, I started to cry and she, to cry of such a moment of 
I break through my box and through her box. And it was just a moment of um, union, of a total, totally fall apart of boxes. Hmm. Ingrid, if you can still hear us, we cannot hear you. We've lost your Yes, she had some difficulties with uh, our internet. Okay. Ingrid, when you come back online, you please wrap up what you were saying. That mm -hmm. was really important. Thank you. The illusion that death is far away is pretty common. And it's enhanced by modern culture advertising and skin creams and you know rejuvenation clinics and everything trying to where valuing youth or something like that is uh trying to contradict the inevitability of our demise. And there's a, I mean, what we've been talking about the whole time, but not naming it is, is actually designing your life or actually living as a way of causing your own demise. It's like pulling the rug out from under your own artifice, the artificialness, the, inauthenticity like pulling the rug out from under yourself and and causing yourself to crumble like to disassemble to deconstruct yourself to, to to deconstruct yourself as a way of living and so that the thing anything that can really be deconstructed turns out to be relatively artificial it's like the thing that's inauthentic is what burns away. And so the, the ongoing uh, deconstruction yeah. is, is so, um, it adds an element of authenticity to the moments that we have together. You know, it's like exactly like Ingrid was saying, how she said, this is the time to communicate your know, appreciation and love use your words for 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 doing that now because you lose your language later well all of us lose our language later all of us and so the to pass by a moment of a chance to appreciate or ex express love or in, interact or connect deeply and and with true 
authentic appreciation and you know the joy of that is is uh god that's really an aliveness a doorway for aliveness exactly that's where the adventure happens that's where you leave behind security and enter adventure ingrid you're back can you say the last couple of sentences do you remember those can you say those again please yes i i said that it was a moment where my box didn't exist anymore and her box neither so it was a a real relating it was a real extraordinary relating Thank you. Thank you. Ingrid. Ingrid, while you were absent from the technology, we were just for a moment talking about you know living like organizing your own dem- demise, deconstructing yourself intentionally as a as an ongoing way of interacting. So not waiting until it's forced upon us by some illness or something, but really actually celebrating the possibility of self like deconstruction, like deconstructing the inauthentic. Yeah. Thank you for, for that. Somebody else have anything to share right now? Yes, I wanna I wanna share that something that is coming from this call is that um, for me the adventure never stops. It's like if if I am someone who crave or really desire adventure, I will do it anyway. Meaning that if I don't go for whatever come in my yeah. My emotional uh, craving for something or wanting to go somewhere then I go inside I, get, I go inside of me and that's what happened when um, some people and I have this beating up pattern when I go inside of me because I try to find the foods inside of me instead of getting them outside and that's yeah that's what I'm discovering thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Dawei, you want to say that? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling just this. I've been feeling these first layers of this sadness about this thing of burning the house down or pulling the rug out and just um Yeah, the thing you were talking about of the train, and it's like I I stayed on the train for so long, and and now I've gotten off, and I'm really far down the tracks, and I just have so far to walk back, and yeah, and it's, yeah, just the sadness about how much of a house there is to burn down. It's, it's it's feeling to me like a, a emotional healing process. Whatever that would be, would be really great at this point. 
do you want to ask for one? Yeah. Kind of without a plan, like no plan, no idea. Just go dive into that. Go. You can just ask for it. Yeah. Will someone hold an EHP for me to explore this emotion coming up? Janet, I see Janet, and Sonia, and Ingrid, and Eva, and Kian. And Mikael, and Solange, Ingrid. And you can let us know if you didn't get all those. Janet, Sonia, Eva, Ingrid, Solange. I have it. Thank you. Kian. Mikael. Yes. Good. Thanks for sharing that, Dawi. Thank you. Anybody else? Um, else? Yes, me. Linking a few of the themes so far today. During Cyclone Gabrielle on Monday, somebody asked for us, uh, for me to help them. He said, will you help me translate what she is talking about, his partner? So I walked up in the wild storm. And as I was calling in bright principles, especially of possibility and transformational listening, I was on the edge that we've been talking about. And I thought, I want to die to anything I already know. So I was already liquid inside me. And at the end of the session, the the woman's gripe was, he doesn't connect with my family coming from low drama. At the end of the session, now I can feel my joy. The legend was that actually, (laughs) actually that session was about seeing him as the king, in Maori words, calling forth his mana. And he grew about four inches. He was actually protecting protecting his his being from the low drama in the woman's family home. And he was a guardian of their beings because he didn't want what was happening in the home. And he was the visionary of something different was possible. So the, the, his partner was going, whoa, now I need to lower my numbness bar to be able to feel what you're feeling. And then we had a huge laugh about you could make billions if we could have a decoder, because that's what they called me, a decoder, that a man puts his message in the decoder and it comes out female style. (laughs) She puts the message in and it comes out bloke style. We had a, it was really a lot of high level. But I wish you could have seen me. I had two layers of wet weather gear. It was right. I thought, I'm willing to die doing this work. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for being a decoder. I hope you keep doing it. And a phase one game world bridge builder, Clinton. Thank you for that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Solange, it seems like you wanted to say something. Okay. Ellen, what about you? 
Yeah, I have something. I I feel so touched. Thank you, Janet. What you shared is so deeply landing in me. And I had a sentence before that if you see something, you never ever can make it unseen. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> it is it's such a dangerous place to be here. And I just so love it to see and hear and experience what I do and in our team that we have here. And I feel so alive and so rich with all the pain and all the, all the joy and all the sharings that are alive. That's such a different world that opened up to me. And yeah, I do everything I can to expand this world as much as I can because yeah, it fills me so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Alan. I love this dangerous place. <laughs> I'd like to hear from uh, Dor. Dor, how, what kind of, what are you doing out there? Wow, I'll just speak in this space right now. Just. I just want to say, first of all, to Ingrid, that I love you and just thank you for being here and sharing that. It's like made me so liquid. And I needed that because I have like such a strong box, like, like this. Like I will. Like this, I would, nothing would ever happen to me. That's kind of my box. And, and just uh, this week, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah, just, just this week, I, I managed to jump out of a swing that was hanging above a lake just because my box told me every lake that I've ever been it goes, the more it goes far, it's, it gets more deep. And I actually measured the distance of where I was before I jumped. And it was this deep. But my box told me that if I swing three meters ahead and I'm going to jump, it's going to be this deep for sure, like at least a meter deep. And I just jumped and I, and I crashed my leg. Like, like now my leg is injured. It's getting better, but it's, it's like... And, and you ask me why we're astonishing. I'm astonished that my box is so strong that it's like, I know, I know what's going to happen. Like how, and that's how I go in life. It's just like, I know how it's going to be. And then there's another force where I stay in my marshmallow zone and it just, it just like crash me because if I stay in my marshmallow zone, like my bean don't want to be there. So these force come and make me do this thing, like have an accident or lose all my shit. And then something else is possible because otherwise I'm just like choking myself to death, like just, just being in a dead space of my box. And and I, I I notice this force that needs to happen to me if I don't really like if I don't go liquid or I don't know if I don't go to my edge or not. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dor. There's. I'm, I'm hoping that, Dora, that somehow you can 
burn your house down or deconstruct yourself or pull the rug out or um, kind of move beyond your box or through your box without losing all your stuff or hurting yourself. You know, find, find other ways to take yourself apart, you know, vulnerably. Like maybe that's, you know, that's, I've done that myself, you know, I crashed my motorcycle, whatever, you know, I have done those things myself and I keep, I keep trying to pull, you know, pull the shielded armor away, you know, pull the, I know stuff that you were talking about is like, put it on the table. You know, I've been lying. I don't really know. It's bullshit. I don't really know, you know, and I'm interested. I mean, I want to be here. I want to connect or I want to, see or learn or discover whatever without and just keep putting it down you know putting the wall down as much as possible with inner inner movements without having to crash the outer world because our beings are such perfect evolutionary organisms our beings are designed to evolve and then our box is designed to protect and so like the universe gets pissed off sometimes because we're such evolutionary beings. And then we hide ourselves inside these hard as rock boxes. And then the universe has to come along and crash us with this hammer has to do the hammer thing on us. And so that's what just happened with you, with your leg in a way is universe, you know, hammered you so that you could be weaker or be vulnerable, you know, or be, be wounded because you are wounded you know we are wounded you have we have wounds but to to stay in the wounds and and still value ourselves enough to connect it's like to to value our woundedness and to value our vulnerability like that and just that's a practice it's so i'm just encouraging that as a new approach so one one experiment that i'm doing lately is to notice like smaller physical pain so when I hit my toe on the side of the bed or I trip on a rock or I uh, like the other day I pinched my finger in the door of the van or something and that and it's this alarm of I'm not I'm not awake like I'm doing something mechanical but it doesn't have to go all the way to like this extreme like you're talking about door and so anyway that's a, a possible experiment is to notice a, the smaller ways that Gaia really, for me, it's like, it's so much this, this, this wake up call being, Hey, wake up, you know, Hey, you know, what's, what's the mechanicality here? Like what's the voices that I'm, that I'm listening to? What's the rush? Like what's the, the thing I want to, you know, I, I need to finish this or something like that. And so that could be another experiment is to notice these smallest signs because I think they're happening too. Thank you. Thank you, Dora. Uh, Gina, can you say something? How's it going in the Gina department? I feel slightly out of sync because I came late, but I'm grateful that I got in even though I was half late. Um, and I just got back from India two days ago, so I'm just like reintegrating into my usual life. And 
Uh, today is my first day back in my office, and I'm telling all of my clients that I'm moving all of my practice online, and that's so that I can um, go travel and do my work. And so it's quite interesting experiment today. Do you have a jewel for for us from India? Some kind of jewel from India? Mm. Yes, just to trust. Can you can you unfold that a little bit for us? Yeah. Uh, for me, I learned. Um, you know, we're all in it together, and we all need each other. And you never know when. Um, like you never really know the underlying connections. We all share. You can approach it with fear, um, or like you can allow the fear to be in control in the sense that you don't allow your heart to be open and really connect um, because of the unknown, or you can approach it that the unknown is um, maybe safe. And if Gina, you're going you at just, it. Gina, sorry, would you just say the last thing again using I instead of you? Just say it, the whole last thing again with I. Yeah. So when I went to India, I learned to not allow my fear to um, keep me from be- having an open heart and connecting and to um, experiment more with trusting that if I keep my heart open and approach with curiosity, the potential that's there, then I can um, maybe gain something. Thank you for thank you thank you for bringing that back. Do you know? I just had a hint because sort of the way you said of like I came back from India and I'm trying to um, remerge, like re-enter my my usual life, and you've changed shape. You know, when you went to India, it's a big, it's a big liquid state, especially the kind of experiments you were doing out there. And so, I don't know. It's like instead of like trying to re-enter, like to you know put yourself back into your life, it's especially as you're going traveling. And the experiment could be to be big and let your life kind of fall apart around who you've become. Because it's so easy to put ourselves back to normal. You know, it's like oh, this is how I used to interact with the baker or with my client or with my you know it's like oh that's my usual way and 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 instead being let let me discover who I am now in you know in which in Wichita Kansas after I've been to India I don't know if I said that's what I'm trying to do maybe I did say that um but I just meant that I am back in my usual life that's what I mean (laughs) that's what I mean (laughs) Don't well, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Wichita, Kansas, forget it. No, it sounds like you're. It sounds like that's what you're doing. If you're moving your your yeah. work online, that kind of thing. It sounds like you're letting your world collapse around your new shape. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Nice. Uh, we have a couple more minutes. Jay, say something. 
Um, Kyoto, yeah, I was just um, considering the pieces that really touched me today, and and considering how um, I was noticing that uh, there was a um, a part of me that was. Um, getting so much more out of this live because this, this is the first time that I've been on this call live and I've listened to it many times um, in recordings and gotten a lot out of it. But um, a few things really touched me today. Uh, one of them was Ingrid, you're sharing around losing your voice. Uh, my father went through this process and this really touched me. It's really touched me deep of um, losing his voice with ALS. And And there was a year or two where he was really taking that opportunity to say um, to people that he loved them and, um, and feel the joy of um, his grandchildren. And so, yeah, this really, really touched me and also brought um, yeah, clarity that there's layers of sadness there in letting him go uh, that I'm, that are just, they're everywhere. They're, they're, they're everywhere in all of my processing at the moment. So it's, that's really touched me. And um, this piece of life being an adventure and sitting on my edge um, is really alive. And what I just wrote here is um, something you brought on, Chloe, of, of having boxes that, um, that have like the program of being scared or being anxious and that it's not listening to my fear, but it's actually, it's actually my box strategy of, of being in fear, of being in this fear loop. And it was like, ah, oh, actually, I think I've got some of that happening in my box. And I, and I just kind of put it to side a little bit. And it's like, oh, actually, I can be more in this space of life being an adventure and being on my edge and, and notice that I had this program around um, being irritable and reactive because I was feeling scared. And actually, that was just a whole box loop. Yeah. So that's some of what's alive for me. Thank you. And lots of love feeling lots of love thank you thank you jay christina yes go ahead yeah um i have also experienced the marshmallow zone a lot this week and i did the experiment going to the edge and noticing that i'm not like I did a lot of stuff before where I could handle high levels of fear, but it was mostly mixed. And I like between conscious and unconscious fear, having both my feet out of modern culture, giving my passport away and everything. And then I cannot hold it. And now I'm back in this modern culture game. And I'm really aware of how much I stressed my nervous system. I cannot even hold little levels of fear right now anymore. Being constantly with my box in this, that like seeing the addiction of my my box and my gremlin of adrenaline rush as soon as when I'm not being on my edge. Actually, I don't know how to describe it. Like. Like I, I did an emotional healing process with Sabina holding space for me and we went through looking at the four feelings cycle and and I saw how much this is connected to my to my actual menstrual cycle that there is anger, I want to create something, I go and as soon as I feel joy, 
there comes fear, low levels of fear, and I'm so afraid of that fear, even if it's like three or five percent. And then I just close the door to to echo, like I just as if I as and then, and I think it's my gremlin mixing then anger and joy. I don't have clarity on that, but it's like that's why I'm stuck right now, and now I'm in. And the familiar emotional sadness again after this whole thing and and I'm I don't want this anymore. I'm so pissed off about it. <laughs> but at the same time my body does this and <clears throat> yeah. And Yeah, and, and sometimes I wish I I am not I would not notice so much. I would not see so many things. I wish I would not see what I see about me, about other things. I wish I have not such a trained mind that my gremlin is capturing most of the time if I'm not um precisely and very detailed with him and and that's where I am right now. It's a little bit shaky not being in the swamp <clears throat> and Christina, do you have a writing project? Are you, do you have a writing project? Are you working on a, a book or a, anything? Here's why I'm asking you, because if you, if you see things and then wish not to see them, what happens is, is your eyes go bad. You get headaches or you try to confuse yourself that's the solution of wanting to not see something. And alternatively, you could you can actually use the seeing to serve in a project that you're working on. And then when you see stuff, you have a character in your story who sees that stuff. And you just write it down full out, you know, with the raw flaming sword clarity of exactly what shit you're seeing. And it's and it empowers that character in the book mm -hmm. and then you have other characters and so then then what you're perceiving is is not you're not trying to block it you just put it somewhere else you say yes and and you put it into the character and you write for a few days and then and then you know come back to it later from from when you come back to yourself in a different way but anyway it's a it's a huge resource that you have access to because you have this clarity and you see this stuff and it's, it's, um, you don't have to just try to suppress it. You can just channel it into this project. And so I would encourage you, if, even if you don't have it together, you know, just to open up a file and just start putting it in there as a, one of the characters in your, in the story. Mm. Yeah. I was just going to say, cause you, I think, cause you've tried to challenge it in project, like in game world and bridge house and stuff like that, but a book is much closer to you. You know, it doesn't have to be relating with people or finding, so, you know, the edge work is closer. Yeah, what I did the past three years is whenever I write, I write, like, but it has this kind of diary form. It's not like an article. It's just yeah. distinctions or sometimes just only a sentence in one day. And I, I don't have clarity on how to use this. Yeah, there's a there's a great website called Write the Book. <laughs> yeah. Write the book. And it's so many Eric, empowers, empowerment for that. Eric, Christine, I wouldn't worry about that yet. 
because that's the thing that blocks you. You know, how am I going to use it? You know, what is it going to be valuable for? What form is it going to have? It, don't forget about that at, at this point. Just write. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the book No Reason was articles mm-hmm. written. I know we're above time, but it was articles written uh, 30 years ago. And it came into a book 30 years mm-hmm. later. Yeah, but so so far about all the stuff, when I read it after, there's like the context is missing. It's like sometimes there's missing stuff in between. And Christina, you're having all these judgment about your writing. That's not the experiment. The experiment is not to judge your writing. The experiment is to write. Yeah. It's all, and then, okay, then it's already a thousand pages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, a thousand pages of cool ranting distinctions yay okay all right uh, go. i want go, to christine. add something to christine is that i've discovered something in myself of having fear of seeing of noticing very connected to the energetic body and my gremlin has this strategy of having myself having fear and then freaking out and not seeing things and what i'm discovering is that when I make this conscious choice to see and to uh, work on my sensitivity, uh, on these energetic tools that I have, it goes away. So maybe you can. And I have, I have a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like I, I need to learn how to play energetic games. I don't know how to explain that, but it's not seeing with my eyes, it's seeing with my energetic body, and that's what's so... Sonia, Sonia and Christine, maybe you could connect. Sonia, would you connect to Christine and... Like hold space. Yeah, hold space. and For that conversation or yeah. that exploration. Yes, yes. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Okay, see you All next right, week. All right, you guys. <coughs> Carry on. Tor, nice to see you. See you guys, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.